You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture and all things related to it. New episodes are released daily. For more information, check out glossahouse.com and subscribe to our channels on Spotify and YouTube. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, welcome back to Proof Text. I'm Dr. Mario, and this is a segment we like to call What's in the Name? Uh, today's names is one of the names that we're continuing through the pertinent Pentateuch names, as we call them. Um, and frankly, it's probably the biggest and most important name throughout all of Scripture, other than Jesus, of course. And that would be the name Abraham. Uh, Abraham is mentioned some 313 times throughout the entirety of the Bible. Um, he's not only a patriarch of the Old Testament, but he's a patriarch for, well, Christians in the New Testament as well. Uh, Abraham's story is really interesting, and his name helps us understand a lot of the irony and poignancy of his story. So let's begin with our reminder of our three things that we do. We cover the etymology, the irony and poignancy, and the application for those of us that are New Testament believers. So, etymology. Well, his name first begins as Avram and then becomes Avraham. So let's just for a second say about Avram, Avram. Uh, Avram, or Abram, as you might say it from the English, uh, actually means exalted father. Um, He was somebody that was probably of clout, of wealth, of value, of known and regard back in his land of Ur. And he came out from that territory and came with lots of people, even though God told him, that he and his wife alone should leave Ur. He brought lots of people, including, well, Lot with him, his nephew. And then eventually God changes his name to Avraham, which means father of many. Av is father and Raham is uh, to be many. And so he becomes the father of many. Now, let's talk about the poignancy of the story. This is really very ironic in his name. At the point in time that God names him Avraham, he, well, is not a father. Uh, He has this long discourse with Yahweh saying that, Behold, Eleazar of Damascus is my heir. How is this going to happen? My wife is too old. I am too old, etc., etc. And so how is he going to become the exalted father of many, or the father of many, as Avraham is? Well, he does it in several different ways. Well, one of the ironies of it is, is that, again, his name is father of many, and he has none. So he thinks to himself, we need to make this happen. Sarah suggests to him, his wife suggests to him, that, hey, you should take my servant, Hagar, and sleep with her. And the child conceived there will be our destined um, heir as promised by God. So he does this. Hagar gives forth and has Ishmael whenever um, Abraham is somewhere around 86 years old, as the scripture says. And so Abraham has this son named Ishmael. The problem, though, is that Ishmael is not the son that was promised because, behold, the promise was for Abraham and Sarah to conceive, not Abraham and Hagar. Uh, The name Ishmael is important, and we'll cover it in a couple videos from now. But what we need to know is that this was an endeavor on the, let's say, the flesh of Abraham to bring about a promise of God. And that's a big problem. We should never try to push the Lord's hand uh, whenever the Lord has promised us something. No, we need to wait on his timing. Nevertheless, Sarah ends up conceiving eventually. 
um, way past menopause, way up in age. Um, we see this in Genesis 25 that uh, uh, Sarah dies at 127 is how old Abraham is. And so Ishmael uh, would have been around 50 years old at this point. And uh, likewise, Isaac would probably be around 40, if not 35-ish type of age. And so she has a son way late in her life. And they end up naming him um, Isaac. Isaac. Um, we'll talk about Isaac and Ishmael, as I said, later on. But if his name is father of many, two is not many, is it? Two is just a pair. I mean, I have two shoes on right now. That's not many shoes. That's two shoes. Uh, so how is this going to happen? Well, at 127 is whenever Sarah dies. And uh, Abram doesn't desire to live alone, um, as many have remarried after their spouse has passed away. Uh, Abram remarries and marries this girl named Zipporah. Um, and Zipporah ends up having um, a bunch of other sons. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at my things. Uh, it's Keturah, not Zipporah. Why did I say that? Keturah. He takes Keturah as his wife and ends up having a bunch more sons. Um, and so this is really interesting because he's called father of many back whenever he was uh, not many and didn't have many sons. Um, and then he takes Keturah to be his wife and ends up having six more sons and some daughters on top of that. So by the time Abraham dies, he actually has some eight sons um, and uh, who knows how many total uh, daughters would have been a part of the count. So this is not the story that we often grow up with from Sunday School or VBS, that Abraham has Isaac and Ishmael and that's that. No, no, no. He actually has many more sons. And in fact, these many sons that he has go on to be etymologically, well, or we could even say etiologically, the origin of all of the Middle Eastern peoples. Um, Ishmael, as we will discuss, ends up having 12 sons. Isaac ends up having 12 sons. And then many of the other sons of Abraham make appearances throughout the rest of the story, such as Midian and all these other names. And so he does indeed becoming the exalted father and the father of many, not just people, but of many nations. Um, Sadly, though, if he was an exalted father at Avram, and then he becomes Avraham, father of many, he dies, not Avram, but as an exalted father, he dies as somebody, well, quite poor. In fact, Abraham dies only owning the burial plot in which he buried his first wife, Sarah. Um, and ultimately, Abraham is buried there as well. So he goes from wealth in Ur, brings lots of people, becomes this numerous man, has faith, ends up becoming very well known, has many children, and ultimately, etiologically, develops into the entirety of the Middle East. So now, how does this uh, irony play out for us in the New Testament? Well, irony and the character of Abraham show up in the New Testament in that it is by faith that we are saved. We could go to Romans, we could go to Galatians, we could go to Hebrews. It is by faith that we are saved, and these are the instances that Abraham has mentioned. He has faith, and so he is saved. He has faith, and it is counted to him as righteousness. And so here we find that Abraham, who didn't have faith and tried to force God's hand with the Hagar-Ishmael thing, um, actually is remembered not for that instance, but the second, but for the Isaac birth with Sarah. He had faith. Okay, it's going to happen. 
and it does, brings about this child, and that is the child of faith, who ultimately through him becomes the line of Israel as a whole and Jesus as Savior. And so the covenant that God makes with Abraham back in Genesis 15 and 17 is a covenant that is renewed within the New Testament, and it says that we are saved as children of the faith and covenant of Abraham. We could go to Galatians and look at that passage. We could go to other texts such as um, Romans, as mentioned, or Ephesians to see that we are the children of faith of Abraham. So the poignancy, though, and the irony of Abraham is that we should not be rather, we should not be the exalted peoples, but rather the multipliers. Um, in the New Testament, whenever we grab this concept and start looking at should I be exalted or should I be multiplied, we don't see the concept that we should exalt ourselves in the New Testament, but rather we should exalt Christ. And then what we do see is that we should be multipliers of ourselves, just as Abraham understood, I am to be the father of many. We, by the commandment of Jesus, are to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, And so we are not to be exalted. And oftentimes we're not exalted in the world standards, but we are exalted in the eyes of God because we've been faithful to multiply. Now, likewise, in contrast of Abraham in our lives, we should not push and force God's hand in regards to multiplication. What we should do is by faith lead people into the faith. Sadly, throughout church history, and I encourage you to read some church history, you'll find many believers that have tried to forcefully bring about many to faith. The Crusades is a really sad point where that fits. Uh, But rather what we should do is we should have faith and let the Lord speak through us and by our faith, let God grow the nation or the kingdom of God, as Jesus says so much in his parables. This is the story of Abraham in a different way, thinking about his name. He goes from exalted to multiplied, just as we should go from being not exalted by world standards, but rather multiplying of God's standards and the kingdom of God. I encourage you to reread the story of Abraham and consider exactly how it could be poignant for your life. Um, And I will catch you in the next video. Bye now. Interested in growing your ancient language skills, but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.